here was this man staring up the stairwell with a sawed-off shotgun pointed at me and I was at peace. Uh, I can explain to you what all looks like. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Malik, and I am not joined by my co-host Sal Dietry. He's running late tonight, so hopefully he'll get here to the booth and join us shortly. On the morning of September 16, 2013, tonight's guest encountered the Washington Navy Yard mass shooter in the stairwell of Building 197 and was shot at close range. Just before Aaron Alexis pulled the trigger, Jennifer Bennett felt a sense of peace and love as she stared into Aaron's eyes. Twelve people were killed by the shooter that day, and he himself died in an exchange of gunfire with the police. Somehow, Jennifer survived. She joins us to talk about her experiences that day, how they transformed her life, and the profound insights she has gained into the importance of really seeing people and of boldly honoring our God-given purpose. Jennifer, welcome to Grace and 30. Good evening, Ed. It's nice to see you. So, tell us about that morning. September 16th started like any other day. And as I walked down the stairs, I was humming a hymn, and I walked into Aaron Alexis, but I didn't know him. And so here was this man staring up the stairwell with a sawed-off shotgun pointed at me. And I was at peace. Uh, I can explain to you what all looks like. And God had given me this hymn to hum. And so as I was walking down the stairwell responding to a fire alarm, I was humming and I was talking with God and that's not abnormal for me. And as I came down the stairwell, which is an open atrium stairwell, so that means there's no doors or walls, just windows, I, I just walked into him and he was about 10 steps from me. And uh, I just stopped and I was still and I could feel the presence of God. I don't know how to say it other than that. My very being knew God was present, and he allowed me to see Aaron Alexis, the man, not the man and evil. And I looked at this very broken person, and Aaron looked up at me, and it, we just stood still. It was a time of matrix almost. I, I was in a time of being in a matrix. And so um, he just uh, stared back, and I just stared at him. And I finally, I just said, with my shoulders, I shrugged him up, like, what are you going to do? And he, he just stared some more at me. And that's kind of how my first meeting with Aaron Alexis was. So you also mentioned something like you felt almost a pressure on your shoulders to stand in position. I did. I did. Um, my peace was what we would refer to as the 23rd Psalm, and I just was at peace. And I felt like someone was standing behind me, and they had a light pressure on my shoulders to stand still. And there was a purpose for that that I discovered later in the hospital. God needed me to stand still, and he needed me not to be afraid. He needed me to be courageous and look at Aaron Alexis, because if I had shifted even a slightest, um, I would have either died or my arm would have been shot off. And both the police and the medical community identified to me that they all thought I should have died 
because no one survives a point-blank sawed-off shotgun shot. So you were indescribably in a state of peace. Yes. And and But you also felt compelled after you were shot, you, you felt compelled to call out, didn't you? I did. I did. So as I was standing there, uh, I could feel God. I just knew it was God that was with me. And then I heard this voice. After I was shot, I heard this voice. It was audible to me. And, it, and the voice said, call out to me. And at that moment, I knew it was Christ who I was to call out to. And for the first time I spoke, I called out to Christ. And as I walked back from the third floor or deck up to the, to the seventh floor, which became the roof, I called out to Christ to come be with me and help me. And you were with two other people. I was. So as I walked back up um, on the sixth deck in the stairwell, I ran into another man who had been in the stairwell who had actually seen me um, get shot. He put his arm around me, and then we went up to the seventh deck, and then there was Captain Zawizlak, and then there actually was a third man, and his name was McCon and Eob, and we all went out onto the roof. So the other men, they were out of sight from Aaron. You were on one of those stairwells that go yes. down, and there's a landing, and you turn. So when he shot you, he didn't see the other men. He did not. Because he probably, if he saw them, probably would have tried to shoot them, too. He would have, yes. So why do you think, you, you've said before to me that you believe that you were brought across the shooter's path for a reason. But why do you say that? Well, I firmly believe that uh, Psalm 139 tells us that God knew who we were going to be. He created us. We are his imagination. And he tells us that we were created for his purpose. And so as a believer, I firmly believe that God gave me that path and he took my whole life and got me to the place where I was walking that path. And he knew I was ready. A couple of months before that, I had read Pastor Mark Batterson's book, All In, and Pastor Lon Solomon's Brokenness book. And God used those books for me to finally say, okay, God, I'm all in. My coffin is packed. I'm ready. You created me to be this courageous lion chaser warrior how are you going to use someone like me? And a couple months later, he put me in a stairwell with Aaron Alexis. So you learned some profound lessons from that. You told me about the notes that were etched into the sides of his gun. Yes. And, and that he was a person that really was completely unnoticed. I mean, what, what did you discover after that? What things have you learned and, and now are, are kind of putting into practice as you're living? Um, Aaron Alexis was unknown. Um, I learned a lot about Aaron Alexis uh, while I was recovering. Uh, spent a lot of time with the FBI, uh, and they presented me his whole life and what I learned and what I believe and why I believe God allowed me to see the man, not the evil that he was doing, was to come back out and say, when people do evil things, Aaron Alexis was not evil. What he did was evil. He was broken. And so now we have to talk about what breaks a person. And he was unseen. His whole life, he was mentally ill. And um, in the Showtime active shooter, America Under Fire, his sister talks about that when he even was young, she knew something wasn't right. And so Aaron Alexis went his whole life not ever having anyone help him. I, I saw that program. It's it's really well done. 
It's uh, on Showtime. Again, you mentioned Active Shooter. Uh, they were, there were four or five of them done. Eight. For eight. That's, that's a sad indictment on the number of mass shootings. Yes. But they, they did talk to his sister, Naomi Alexis, and, and she just said the whole family knew something was wrong. She had another sister as well, and he started abusing them physically, violently, when I guess they were in their early teens, yes. maybe sort of the tween years. And, and nobody really did anything. Nope. You know, people just kind of see something disturbing like that, and they just they live with it. Uh, he also had some run-ins. I think he got into trouble. He was in the Navy at one point. He or? was in the Navy. He um, he uh, went to mast in the Navy. That means you get put in mast, you get put before an admiral, and they make a determination of whether you get to stay in the Navy. Uh, he did get to stay in the Navy. He eventually uh, got out of the Navy, and everywhere he went, he crested into problems with the police, and there was always a weapon involved. And it, with neighbors, he would shoot out windows and cars or tires. And just before uh, the shooting, he had been in Newport, Rhode Island, and the hotel had called the police on him. Uh, and he even spoke to the police, and he was telling them he heard voices. And that was part of his mental illness. He always was hearing voices. And so his company brought him back and asked, told him, go get yourself well. So nobody really was invested in him. He was like this ghost walking through life with a mental illness, and he became the perfect storm. And he somehow, uh, despite um, leaving the Navy under not-so-good conditions, he got that job. He had a clearance and was working, I guess, as a, a contractor. He was. He did have a clearance. Uh, the contractor um, did not identify to the Navy that he was having issues. Um, and that that goes against all of our policies and instructions. And so when he came into work, um, nobody knew he was mentally ill. Yeah, some of the things that were written on his gun, he had etched uh, end to the torment on one side of the gun and said, not what y'all say on yes. one, one part of the gun. So you realize the importance of needing to be seen. People need to be seen, need to be treated like human beings and, and helped and dealt with if they have issues. There were some other lessons too, and a lesson about the purpose of suffering. I mean, you went through a lot of suffering through this. Sure, I did. Um, very briefly about being seen, God has made all of us with very basic foundational needs. Every person, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are or what country you belong to or your race or your gender, he's made us that we want somebody to see us. It's important for us to be valuable, valued and valuable, uh, and value, valued. And Alexis clearly didn't feel any of those things because he came in to shoot us because he didn't feel valuable. And so he didn't value anybody else. And so that's an important lesson. It's about building relationships with other people. And so, you, when you see someone and you say, how are you? You need to stop and actually mean what you say and not just keep going because you could be the difference between them knowing somebody cares about them or knowing nobody cares about them. And it's a time investment. It is a time investment, but that's what we're called to do. We're yep. called to build relationships with each other. We're called to love each other. And love means taking time to have a heart for the people you work for and care about them and know about their families and them. And when you see them every day, 
so that they know that you really know them. And it's interesting, too, that uh, that you really had sort of challenged God I did. in the months before that, saying, hey, I'm all in. You made me like this, revealed to me why you made me strong and what you, what you want me to go through. And boy, you could have never imagined uh, yeah, what did. you would go through. <laughs> I didn't imagine that, but that's one of those where you as a believer, you have to be careful what you're really asking because God answers us in ways that only he knows how he's going to answer it. And so you have to be ready for it. But I was ready. Um, that book, uh, All In, uh, in combined with uh, Pastor uh, Solomon's Brokenness, Brokenness tells you about why does God break each one of us. And he breaks us specifically for us, so we'll look up. And then All In is about how are you here? What you're going to serve? What's your purpose? And so I was ready to serve. God had got me to the place, and I became obedient to say, I'm ready. Whatever you want to do with me, you made me a warrior. You didn't make me a quiet, soft church (laughs) woman. So I'm ready. Use me. We spent some time chatting on the phone, and one of the things we talked about was, was the effect of culture and leadership on people, or maybe I should say the effect of bad culture and a lack of leadership on people. Tell us some of the things you've learned about that. So my background is uh, focused on executive leaders and how they affect one's culture. So leaders affect culture. They drive whatever culture a person is living in their organization. And whoever they are is who everyone else becomes. And so uh, the Navy, uh, large, uh, where I work is a very large Navy organization, and we're highly technical. And so technical is an important piece of our accomplishments each day. And sometimes the person or the people and how important they are to the mission would get lost. And so how the leaders viewed their people uh, at that point in time was, it wasn't so much about them, it was about getting the job done. Now that's changed significantly. Now it's about people. It's also technical, but now we, we talk about people being the force behind the feet, the fleet, and because it, it takes the people to build a fleet. And so culture has to be reflected in how the leader leads. And so if you have a harsh culture, it drives a negative culture. And if you have a harsh leader effect, it shows up in not building relationships with others. So the key is they have to set an example, a witness for caring for people. Yes. Taking the time to get to know people. Yes. And, and making it known through their staff. Uh, and, and that's something that didn't really happen. I, I think Aaron, at some point, he told some people that he, he spoke about the harsh treatment that he received at work. He did. He, um, he identified that he felt he was working in a harsh environment. And so that's when you have to stop and say, how are you treating each other? Now, everyone in an organization is a leader. Everybody does something that's in a leadership behavior, whether you're an authority leader. And how you treat each other also makes that difference. You drive a culture with everybody around you. So it's your responsibility. If you want a culture where people care about you, then you have to also demonstrate that love and concern and care for others. And it takes time, effort, 
Heart. Yep, it does. It takes heart. Um, you have to have to have a heart for other people. Um, that's the first thing for every person. If you want people to see you, then you have to see others. Uh, in the Zulu community, they have a couple of words, sawabono and sikahona. And sawabono is a greeting. It says, I see you. And sikahona is the response that says, I am here to be seen. And if you talk about those two words, that's really all anybody wants. They want to be seen. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about doing that? I mean, are you putting that into practice now? And uh, I, I always put it in practice, even before the shooting. Um, the people at work know I love them. I care about them. I care about them deeply. Nothing is more important or has ever been if someone comes to sit with me, I will sit and spend time talking to them. The work will get done. But the work also gets done by building relationships with each other because it isn't about the tools, uh, the IT tools and uh, sending messages or text. Sometimes you have to sit with a person in the old-fashioned way and look them in the eye and read their body language and learn about their families and talk with them. And the work comes. But when you know the person, you can see when something's bothering them and then you spend time with them, and now they know that they're cared for. It's funny. Um, I, I mentioned to you I'm writing a book, and one of the chapters is sort of the, I call it strands of grace. It's these themes that have just recur over and over when people come in. This is the 90-second show we've done. Some of them have been re-airs. But uh, two themes that come up constantly are proximity, getting mm-hmm. close to people, especially yes. people that are very different than you, making that effort to do that and do yep. that a lot. Yes. And then the other thing is listening. Shut up, show up and shut up. And, and really listening to people, genuinely hearing them and listening to them. Well, Christ spent a lot of time listening. And so the interesting thing is the word silent and listen have all the same letters. So you have to be silent and listen because you have to spend time looking at a person in the eye and just listen. And it's that that tells them that you have a heart for them because it isn't about you. It becomes about them. And then you know what to do for them. And then you know how to help them. And you know how to love them. And so when I see people in the hallway, we give each other hugs. And um, they know very much that my faith is where I am driven from. And they know that I care for them because of my faith. And so there's hugs. It's how are you? How's your family? Uh, I know all about them. And so that's what we're supposed to do with each other that changes the culture, that makes it a place people want to work. Yeah, the fundamental core uh, command is to love God and to love your neighbor. That's right. And so that really sums up all the demands of the, of the law and the prophets. It does. And it, it can show up at work. We're in an environment where our culture says, oh, you can't talk about faith. But faith is how I breathe. And I'm going to take my faith to work. And other believers need to take their faith to work and live it out. And that means love each other, give them what you call the strands of grace. So you have to give each other the grace to be different and bend a little bit and learn that's just who that person is and then help them in the areas that they're not, you know, working well. But you you do it because you care about them, not because it's going to get you something. Yep. And so the folks at work know that about me, and I really care about them. 
So let's shift and talk a little bit about the lessons you've learned about trials, you know, what, what your attitude should be in the midst of trials. Um, so I learned, um, so I, being a warrior, I've always been a warrior. Uh, I, I'm tough. I come from a tough family. Uh, I call us the Stoics. I grew up in an environment where deeply loved, but we had a tough life. And so the comment, it is what it is, you can't do much about it, move on. Uh, my father looked at the world of, if there are issues or problems, it's, it's up to you to take care of them and not shift them to someone else, take care of it. And so we're kind of a tough family that way. And I had to look at, why didn't I run? Why didn't I scream? Why didn't I fight or flight? And it was my faith and it was how I was raised. It was the culture that I came from in my family that it is what it is. And so after I was shot, I counted all joy because it was part of God's purpose for me. And I, I tell folks, I would go through that day any day again because I was where God wanted me to be. He showed me his my purpose. He made me for that day and move on. So I, I don't have uh, PTSD and um, it is what it is. And I know and can see God's hand move what I call the puzzle pieces of my life every day. He awe and surprises me every day and he always puts a divine appointment in my place of someone who needs to hear of him. That's fascinating because we talked in the green room about uh, you had a couple co-workers who just couldn't really return back to work. One was not shot but was shot without being shot. I think the expression you used the person, one of the people that was behind you when you got shot, and another person I think got shot, but not as severely as you did, but they just, and and you, through your faith and sort of reliance on God and all, have been able to navigate this without some of the effects other people have, have suffered, like yes, the PTSD. That's, that's correct. So um, a couple of young women got, uh, were shot. They received uh, pellets, uh, a blast from a shotgun, puts out these little tiny metal pellets, so they got little pellets and uh, one of them never came back to work. She just, she couldn't get herself to ever get beyond what happened to her. Um, and then the, there was a man who was behind me in the stairwell and he, he was so close behind me that when I was shot, everything in my left arm, when I was shot, it went all over him. And so that's shot without being shot. So mm. none of us knew in the stairwell, there were three of us, that there was a shooter. So he couldn't see the shooter, and so he couldn't figure out why I stopped. The next thing you know, here's your, your co-worker. They've just been shot. It's been blasted all over you, and it had to have frightened him. And, but he came back for about 30 days, and then he just never came back. I want to make sure you issue a call to action or two or three to listeners and share with them what you want to share with them. So what, what's, what's the most important thing you'd like to impart to the well, listeners? I think there are a couple of important items that come out of what people call tragedy, shocking tragedy. And this is a shocking tragedy. Uh, uh, someone who's terminally ill, that's just as shocking. But this seems to shock people more. And that is walk away with the lesson. Get to know the people who work around you care about them, build relationships, have a heart for them. That's first and foremost. And if you're a believer, that's what you're called to do. Christ was a relationship builder. 
and you are called to be a relationship builder on behalf of Christ, so you make disciples out of those who, who he brings to you. And second is, if there are others who are struggling, um, I'm happy to talk with them, and if they'd like to contact me at Jennifer at NavyYardSurvivor.com, I'd be delighted to communicate with them. And if they want to learn more about the story or get in contact with me, they could also go to NavyYardSurvivor.com. But the point is, is act upon no matter what happens to you. As a believer, drive your faith into the foundation of Christ and ask God to reveal to you your purpose in going through the tragedy and then use what he's walking you through to bring others to you because the difference between us and someone who doesn't believe is how we live it out as we're walking the difficult. And it's the joy they see that brings them, you're the light, you bring them to Christ. And that is why we are different. It's our faith. Yeah, there's a scripture that says a glorious, inexpressible joy. Absolutely. That's, that's what we should be sending an example of. You're also writing a book, correct? I am writing a book. It's um, titled Standing Still, and uh, I'm I'm probably about halfway through mine as well, and uh, I'm hoping to have it out here in the next couple of months. Just a quick question. One woman was stopped, and he tried to shoot her in the head, and his gun jammed or was empty. And Yeah, so um, there, are, there were more than 3,000 people in Building 197, and... He shot at a lot of people. He shot high, he shot short, he shot, you know, he missed them. Uh, this young woman, um, he actually had the gun to her head and pulled the trigger and the ammo wouldn't, it wouldn't shoot. And um, he walked away from her and that very same ammo killed someone else. Mm. And so for her, she and I talked a little bit and we talked about how does God do that? And I told her, that God had his hand on her because it was not her time because Psalm 139 tells us he writes our name in the book and only he knows the time, the how, the when, and the why, and that he had a purpose for her and her job was to discover that purpose. Hmm. That's very deep. When I heard about what happened to her, I was kind of blown away. The time flies by really quickly. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. joining me. Sal didn't manage to get here, but we managed to forge ahead. Um, the story is amazing. We appreciate that you're, you're really making the most of the time God has given you. I'm which is working great. on it, yes. If listeners want to find out more about Jennifer's story, of course, check her out, What she mentioned, the NavyYardSurvivor.com website. And you can also see her featured in the Showtime series on mass shootings called Active Shooter America Under Fire. I'll put a link to that on the website. A replay of the show can be found on the Grayson30.com and WERA.FM websites and also on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and Jennifer signing off from Grayson30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.